A group of Indian workers walking back to their villages after losing their jobs were so tired from walking all night, they lay down on an empty railway track and fell asleep. India was under lockdown and no public transport was running. But at about 5 in the morning on May 8, a freight train crashed into them, killing 16 people. It was not the coronavirus that killed them, but what the virus has brought with it for many of the world's poor, job losses, their inability to pay their rents, and a sheer apathy towards them by many of the world's governments. I'm your host, Sohil Akram, and in this week's edition of Beyond Headlines, we look at the world's biggest COVID-19 lockdown, India. On March 24, the Prime Minister of India announced that COVID-19 restrictions would come into force just after midnight. With just four hours' notice, India, like most of the world, moved into weeks of strict lockdown to stop the spread of COVID-19. This set the stage for what is now being seen as one of the biggest migrations in India's modern history. Hundreds of thousands of migrant workers who lost their jobs because of the lockdown were desperate to go home. They began an arduous journey back to their villages, most of them on foot, because everything was shut. There were no buses and no trains to ferry them to their villages and to their towns. We don't have money. We don't have anything to eat. There is no help. It is better that we go back home. We are walking on foot. We don't have a bus fare. What can we do? This is Bahraj Ahmed, a migrant worker. Our reporter Tanya Datta met him while he was walking to his hometown in Lucknow hundreds of miles away from Delhi. Here's what Tanya saw on the roads. So, you know, hundreds of thousands of, you know, migrants, uh, these people, whether it's kids or, you know, as old as 60-year-olds, they're walking with bare essentials. Uh, Some people are carrying just a bedsheet with them. Others are carrying just a bag with, you know, one pair of clothes. Uh, Some only have, like, uh, one day or one-time meal packed with them. They are in such bad conditions. Uh, some don't have slippers or shoes. They're just walking barefoot. Uh, they are on this, you know, artist journey on the national highways uh, with the hope of reaching their homes in far-flung places, uh, mostly in the states of UP and Bihar. Uh, these people have been walking in like blistering heat day and night. They sleep on. Uh, the highways or the corner of the highways or under the shade of a tree. But uh, they they have been walking like for hours and hours. Uh, It's really, really a bad sight. So uh, when this lockdown was announced by our prime minister, uh, we were given just four hours uh, in hand, you know, to uh, prepare ourselves for this lockdown. So the announcement came around 8 p.m. and it was imposed by 12 so what happened is the next day, uh, the reason basically is that the train bus services were suspended. And most of these workers uh, who have no work or money to stay in rented rooms in cities or bear the cost of living, which is much cheaper in rural areas, they wanted to go back to their villages uh, because they obviously have no money here and no work. And, uh, and hence the reverse migration started Most of India's estimated 100 million migrant workers live in squalid conditions in the cities, often working extra hours to make a living and save money for their families back home in the villages they come from. After public pressure that the government wasn't doing enough for these people, 
and also with the easing of restrictions earlier this month, the government announced that the migrant workers would be able to return to their home states on special trains and buses. But our reporter Tanya says the process to get onto these trains and buses is often clumsy and bureaucratic. As number of the workers walking on foot, uh, you know, uh, that started um, growing up, a few states started organizing buses in April. But then again, the central government barred interstate movement of migrants on buses. Now, and you know, there have been these instances, there have been these incidents where massive outrages and protests have, uh, uh, you know, occurred or uh, in different states and uh, over the government's perceived apathy on the issue. And um, there have been demands that, you know, uh, railways should start running. So on May 1, uh, in the International Workers' Day, the government started railways, uh, special uh, trains for these labors. But there was this huge confusion and controversy as these passengers were asked to pay regular fares after registering themselves with the government under this tedious online um, system, which required them to upload their address documents, photographs, and you know other reasons like why they want to go back home. So it all created this huge confusion for these laborers who can barely write their names. Uh, they're not equipped with, uh, they don't have smartphones, or they don't understand internet at all. So they, they, that's why there's this huge confusion, you know, what to do. They're leaving these, um, these cities for their homes, but there's nothing, uh, no, no transportation available. India was one of the first countries to impose heavy travel restrictions as it gradually stopped all international flights. As soon as the lockdown began, it also banned all trains and flights within the country, thus making it relatively successful in controlling the spread of the coronavirus infections. Officials say the lockdown is key to stopping the disease. But critics say the lack of planning has hit the country's poor the hardest. And then there is another worry. Many of these hundreds of thousands of migrant workers might be carrying the virus back to their villages. There's no official data on that, given India is conducting limited testing. There's a fear that the country's healthcare system is not in a position to cope with the additional surge of coronavirus cases in its villages. We spoke to Shankar Gopalakrishnan, an activist and a researcher based in India. So I think it's clear that the, uh, uh, there was insufficient planning, and uh, especially around the question of um, the very, very large proportion of the, of the population that depends on daily wage and casual work uh, regarding their survival. I mean, the, a great deal of attention now is being paid to the issue of migrant workers, uh, which, of course, have been the hardest hit out of uh, all of these sectors, but uh, they're not the only ones who've been hit very hard. Uh, a large part of the population that depends on some kind, either casual or daily wage employment, all of them have been hit very, very hard. And uh, I think there hasn't been... Uh, I think it would be fair to say that the extent of planning and the extent of uh, action that was required uh, to, end, to reduce this impact, that doesn't seem to have been there. And so uh, I think a, a, a very high price is being paid for this lockdown, and I'm, I'm not sure that that price had to be paid. Shankar talks of another worry that looms large. It is unemployment. With hundreds of thousands of people rendered jobless, Shankar fears there's a vicious cycle that has just started. I think uh, unemployment uh, is, is serious now. Uh, 
uh, I must say our biggest fear is that if policies continue the way they're going right now, uh, we may actually see this unemployment increase further as slowly as the consequences of the lockdown sort of ripple down into other businesses, into in a kind of vicious cycle. And that is our biggest worry, that we may be entering a vicious cycle of collapsing demand and collapsing businesses, collapsing employment and so on. And that's, that's a real worry. India, prior to this lockdown, India was already facing economic uh, troubles, uh, which the government had also, had also acknowledged. And it was generally felt that the problem was a crisis of demand, that the, especially the rural population and segments of the urban poor and so on were no longer, uh, didn't have the purchasing capacity required to. And uh, so now this lock, the lockdown, the pandemic and the lockdown have now exacerbated that problem. But it's not all doom and gloom. India recently announced a $22 billion bailout package for the country's poor to help counter the economic effects of the COVID-19 outbreak. And down south, the state of Kerala has flattened the curve at a time when the infection is on rise all over India. Only four people have died of the infection in the state as of May 21st. Many are dubbing the success the Kerala model. Experts say the reason Kerala has managed to slow the spread of the virus is because of his strong public health system and its style of governing at the local level. We spoke to Rajiv G, assistant editor with the Times of India in Kerala's capital, Tiruvananthapuram. Uh, we had a well-organized uh, plan when the Wuhan incident had come up. See, we got three uh, students from Wuhan in uh, last week of January. From then on, we have been preparing a well-devised uh, uh, structure to screen the people who are coming through airports and uh, putting them under home quarantine. I think that's the reason why uh, we prevented it uh, from spreading to others. That was the best practice we adopted. And uh, actually, Kerala has created a successful model in maintaining home quarantine of the people who are coming from abroad. I think uh, that was the main reason why uh, Kerala could uh, control this uh, disease spread. So the police department, the local bodies and the health department jointly uh, monitored the people who were under home quarantine. They were put on uh, their, their radar to around the clock. No one was allowed from their home to go out. Uh, the local bodies were helping them, like uh, even for bringing milk to the home, the local body people were uh, doing that. Kerala has an estimated population of 35 million people. As of May 21st, the state only has 642 positive cases. Now, compare this with Delhi. With a population of at least 19 million people, it has 10,554 positive cases and 168 deaths as of May 21st. A lot of Kerala's success in slowing the spread of COVID-19 is attributed to its health minister, K.K. Shailaja. A former teacher, she's credited for leading from the front. Here's Rajiv again. This minister is monitoring the day-to-day -day activities. Actually, I think she, she, she is working uh, some 14 to 16 hours a day. She was very well aware of what is happening in each district. She was monitoring everything. And uh, she had a free hand. Because you know that only health department cannot control this epidemic. They need the support of the police. They need the support of the local bodies. And also all the department heads were briefing her. So she had a very good organized team to uh, assist her. That was the biggest advantage the minister had. And the minister was working around the clock. You won't believe that the first three positive cases 
reported in Kerala was three students from Wuhan. You won't believe this minister went to the hospital, met the student. She wore a PPE and met the student and gave all her courage. You won't believe me. I don't think any minister has met a positive case till date in India. She was the first minister to meet a positive uh, patient inside the uh, isolation room. At the peak of the virus in Kerala, 170,000 people were quarantined and placed under strict surveillance by visiting health workers as the state made sure they are also provided with essential items. Even uh, you will be wondering how some senior citizens, they were isolated at their home and the policemen used to bring groceries, uh, medicines, milk and all. And these policemen were put on the duty for each household. That was how we maintained the home quarantine. And uh, actually, we could succeed because of this grassroots level local body uh, functioning. Because the local bodies were so active, such that even they maintained uh, what what we say, community kitchens also. Community kitchens for those who cannot, uh, some senior citizens were there, they were housemaids were not allowed to go inside the house. So these community kitchens were providing food to them. So in that way, uh, the Kerala had a very well organized structure for taking care of the people who are in the home quarantine. As the success of the Kerala model hits headlines in the north of India, the situation is very different. Indian administered Kashmir has been in lockdown since 5th of August 2019 after Prime Minister Narendra Modi revoked Article 370 of the Indian Constitution that gave Kashmir a special status in the country and ultimately, a level of autonomy. When Kashmir was actually emerging from that lockdown, that crackdown, we are again into another another lockdown, that's the coronavirus. It has been a very difficult uh, time for people uh, in Kashmir. Like uh, we ha- Actually, we are, we are used to the lockdowns. I have read a research that Kashmir has witnessed almost 2,000 days of lockdown in the past three decades. Uh, that's uh, almost six years. That was Saman Latif a journalist from Kashmir. The people of Kashmir have been under lockdown for over nine months now, which includes over five months of internet shutdown. This meant children could not attend school, the economy had taken a big hit, and job losses were high. When the news of COVID-19 started to spread, Kashmir was already struggling. People were very worried about the the first the stories came out from China because uh, we our healthcare system is very weak in Kashmir. Uh, if I give some statistics about our healthcare, we have the one doctor, one doctor for almost 4,000 patients. In India, it is one doctor for 2,000 patients. And as per the WHO uh, guidelines, there should be one doctor for 1,000 patients. So it's a very difficult uh, situation. The healthcare is uh, understaffed. There's almost 50% of nursing positions are vacant. Um, it has a 13 million population and we have 215 ventilators only. So you can yourself understand how well prepared we are for the coronavirus. The limited medical resources, along with the restrictions on movement, has become a big challenge, particularly for sick and for pregnant women. In the past few days, 30 pregnant women have tested positive for coronavirus. One pregnant woman has died of the COVID-19 uh, because... Uh, People, the patients are not able to move from one part of the from hinterland towards the city for the healthcare. Also, the healthcare has not been like there is not a streamlining of the healthcare for these this non-COVID patients. So, 
there are uh, there are restrictions the roads have been blocked ambulances are at times are not allowed to move police and in armed forces they are seeking the passes movement passes which obviously people don't have uh, government has not issued to them travel restrictions are something many countries are facing but the lack of internet makes kashmir's situation much more difficult although the internet was restored in the region recently it is limited low speed problems with connectivity and frequent suspensions mean it is especially challenging during a pandemic when it's needed the most doctors other healthcare professionals they are not able to access the uh, literature where uh, they can see how to treat the patients to make the diagnosis uh, and also the, this uh, this uh, coronavirus look uh, this is completely it's a novel thing people particular doctors they have they need real time information there's no Imagine a speed of ten or ten to fifty kbps speed for internet. Doctors are not able to access any literature, particularly the videos, to learn about this novel coronavirus, and that is actually impacting the patient care also. The, the kids, their children, they are the worst hit in this uh, lockdown. Uh, look, my nephew is in tenth class, and uh, he has not been to school since August last year. Recently, his school in North Kashmir, in Sopur, uh, they had started his online classes. Uh, he told me he could not see his teacher during the class the voice was not was not audible then finally the they they stopped the the online classes because internet speed is very low at times it has it is being blocked completely but now for since march it has it, internet has been restored but the speed is very low where people can children cannot actually have access to the online classes like uh, you are caging people for past 10 months there are the mental health issues this is obviously creating the mental health crisis also in, in people in the, in the population it's not easy to sit inside for 10 months it's really a difficult job as india gradually opens up after 2 months of total lockdown its poorest say they fear starvation more than they fear the virus with hundreds of thousands of them cooped up back in their villages and no money or jobs it will be a litmus test for the modi government to see if these people get enough relief in these testing times thanks this week to tanya datta shankar gopalakrishnan rajiv ji and saman latif i have been your host sohail akram and you were listening to beyond the headlines we were produced this week by arthur edison and aisha khan if you enjoyed this episode feel free to drop us a review and hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcasting app